Well, good day and welcome to the Climate Report, broadcasting on KVMR-FM and at KVMR.org every second and fourth Thursday at 6.30 p.m. I'm Martin Webb. And before we get to this week's Climate Report news, I just wanted to warn listeners. Similar to the warnings that have been issued in regards to the videos of the Capitol attacks that have been playing this week, for some people, they've not been able to watch. They've needed to turn their eyes away. It's too brutal. Well, in order to keep our listeners informed and caught up on climate news, just like two weeks ago, we still have a couple of reports we want to refer to. And these reports are brutal. Just like the attack on the Capitol, they're detailing humanity's attack on our natural capital. So you may want to turn away. You may not want to listen because this is the real news of some of the latest devastating reports. The first one out of the UN. This from The Guardian. It says the world fails to meet a single target to stop the destruction of nature. The world, the human world, has failed to meet a single target to stem the destruction of wildlife and life-sustaining ecosystems in the last decade, according to a devastating report from the UN on the state of nature released in September. From tackling pollution to protecting coral reefs, the international community did not fully achieve any of the 20 biodiversity targets agreed to in Aichi, Japan in 2010 in order to slow the loss of the natural world. It is the second consecutive decade that governments have failed to meet targets. The Global Biodiversity Outlook found that despite progress in some areas, natural habitats have continued to disappear, large numbers of species remain threatened by extinction from human activities, and half a trillion dollars of environmentally damaging government subsidies have not been eliminated. Only six of the 20 targets have been at least partially achieved. Well, the UN said that the natural world was deteriorating, and failure to act could undermine the goals of the Paris Agreement on the climate crisis and sustainable development goals. The UN's biodiversity head, Elizabeth Maruma Rema said humanity was at a crossroads that would decide how future generations experience the natural world. She said Earth's living systems as a whole are being compromised, and the more humanity exploits nature in unsustainable ways and undermines its contributions to people, the more we undermine our own well-being, security, and prosperity. Well, the report was the third over one week to highlight the devastating state of the planet. The WWF and the Zoological Society of London's Living Planet Report 2020 said that global wildlife populations were in freefall, plunging by two-thirds because of human-caused climate change, overconsumption, population growth, and intensive agriculture. The UK itself had to announce that it failed to reach 17 of the 20 targets agreed to in Aichi, Japan in 2010, and that the gap between rhetoric and reality 
had resulted in a, quote, lost decade for nature. Well, the 20 different biodiversity targets from the Aichi Agreement are broken down into 60 separate elements to monitor. Of those 60 separate elements, seven have been achieved, 38 have shown progress, 13 no progress, and for two, the status is completely unknown. Half a trillion dollars of harmful government subsidies for agriculture, fossil fuels, and fishing are highlighted in the report as a particular area of concern by its lead author, David Cooper, Deputy Executive Secretary of the Convention on Biological Diversity. He said, We are still seeing so much more public money invested in things that harm biodiversity than in things that support biodiversity. And the additional target of accounting, taking into account the needs of women, indigenous communities, and poor people while protecting life-sustaining ecosystems was also not met. The assessment of the state of nature on Earth found ecosystems that provide clean water, medicine, and support livelihoods have not been protected, disproportionately affecting women and vulnerable communities. The report authors, however, pointed to the conservation efforts that led to as many as 48 different species being saved from extinction in recent decades as a sign of hope. Author Cooper said, Hidden behind these global aggregates, there is important progress. And you know, that gives us signs that if you do put policies in place, they do work. He added that the failure to meet the targets was down to certain governments not understanding the scale of the challenge faced by the natural world. He said, I think countries are taking it seriously, but perhaps sometimes they're leaving it to the environment ministries and not elevating this enough to something that's got to be the whole of government. Well, the report comes as parties to the Convention on Biological Diversity negotiate the targets for this decade. The final round of negotiations for agreement had been scheduled to take place in China last October, but have been delayed by the coronavirus pandemic and are now expected to take place in May in Kunming, China. Well, a little bit of details about the Kunming Biodiversity Conference. In 2021, hundreds of biodiversity experts and government ministers are expected to negotiate new targets for nature at a meeting in the Chinese city of Kunming. The aim of the accord is a Paris Agreement for Nature and to stop and reverse rampant biodiversity loss around the world. The UN currently has an overarching plan that humanity should be living in harmony with nature by the year 2050. Well, then let's also continue with some other interesting news reports. Again, devastating information, but it's important for us to understand in this moment what we're doing to the planet. This is an article with a headline that says humans have killed 83% of wild mammals and half of plants, according to a study by the National Academy of Sciences. It says, when it comes to planet Earth, humans 
are very tiny. The weight of almost 8 billion humans makes up just one hundredth of one percent of all biomass on Earth, according to a report published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. While humanity is just one hundredth of one percent, plants account for 83 percent of all biomass, followed by bacteria at 13 percent. Plants at 83 percent, bacteria at 13 percent, all other life makes up basically the remaining 5% of the total weight, with humanity being one hundredth of 1%. Well, despite being such a small part of the planet, humans have been steadily destroying everything else for the past few millennia, the Guardian reports. In fact, humans have caused the annihilation of 83% of all wild mammals and half of all plants, the authors of the report found. And it's not just that humans are wiping out wildlife, they're also determining the animals and plants that remain. Of the birds left in the world, 70% are poultry, chickens, and other farmed birds. And of the mammals left in the world, 96% are either livestock or pigs. Only a mere 4% of mammals left in the world are actually wild. Marine mammals, meanwhile, have plunged by 80% over the past century, the report found. According to Ron Milo, professor at the Wiseman Institute of Science in Israel who led the report, telling The Guardian, it is definitely striking our disproportionate place on Earth. When I do a puzzle with my daughters, he says, there is usually an elephant next to a giraffe, next to a rhino. But if I was trying to give them a more realistic sense of the world, it would be a cow next to a cow next to a cow. And then a chicken. This staggering imbalance between domestic and wild animals is being driven by industrial farming, extraction of resources, and the expansion of human civilization, all of which destroy ecosystems, according to the report. Other studies have also documented the decline of animals and plants. For instance, scientists have recently said that the Earth is experiencing its sixth mass wave of extinction, with billions of local animal populations endangered around the world. And this decline is by no means slowing down, a study published found that if temperatures at the end of the century are 3.2 degrees Celsius higher, species across the entire animal kingdom would lose up to half of the ge their geographical area. This study spearheaded by Milo, however, is the first taxonomic breakdown of the mass of all organisms on Earth, according to the authors, who noted that further research and advances in technology need to be developed to refine the data. Milo told The Guardian, I would hope this gives people a perspective on the very dominant role that humanity now plays on Earth. And as an aside to the listener where they said that if the degree temperature rise Celsius goes up to 3.2, the animal kingdom will have half the area to live on. Just know that they've added up all of the commitments in the current Paris Climate Agreement 
and it would get us to 3.1 degrees. So the alignment between 3.2 and the current pledges by the global community uh, are pretty closely aligned. Well, we're going to continue here with some more information that sounds similar but is slightly different. And this is a report that isn't just focusing on mammals and our impact and the climate impact and our environmental impact on life around us from mammals. This is a study on how we have impacted all animals, not just mammals, all animals, including fish, amphibians, lizards. And this article says here, humanity has wiped out 60% of animal populations since 1970, according to this report. The subheadline says, the huge loss is a tragedy in itself, but also threatens their survival of civilization, say the world's leading scientists. The article says humanity has wiped out 60% of mammals, birds, fish, and reptiles just since 1970, leading the world's foremost experts to warn that the annihilation of wildlife is now an emergency that threatens civilization. We are sleepwalking towards the edge of a cliff, said Mike Barrett, executive director of science and conservation at WWF, who produced this major report involving 59 scientists from across the globe. It finds that the vast and growing consumption of food and resources and climate change by the global human population is destroying the web of life, which was billions of years in the making and upon which human society ultimately depends for clean air, water, and everything else. Executive Director of Science and Conservation Mike Barrett said, quote, if there was a 60% decline in the human population, that would be equivalent to emptying the continents of North America, South America, Africa, Europe, China, and Oceania. That is the scale of what we have done. He said this is far more than just being about losing the wonders of nature, desperately sad though that is. This is actually now jeopardizing the future of people. Nature is not a nice to have. It is our life support system. Said Professor Johan Rockström, a global sustainability expert, at the Potsdam Institute for Climate Impact Research in Germany, he says we are rapidly running out of time. Only by addressing both ecosystems and the climate do we stand a chance of safeguarding a stable planet for humanity's future on Earth. While many scientists believe the world has begun a sixth mass extinction, the first to be caused by a species, Homo sapiens. Other recent analyses have revealed that humankind has destroyed 83% of all mammals and half of all plants since the dawn of civilization. And that even if the destruction were to end now, it would take five to seven million years for the natural world to recover. Well, the Living Planet Index, produced for WWF by the Zoological Society of London, 
uses data from more than 4,000 species representing more than 16,000 separate populations of mammals, birds, fish, reptiles, and amphibians to track the decline of wildlife. And they said between 1970 and 2014, the latest data available, populations fell by an average of 60%. Four years ago, the average decline was 52%. The shocking truth, said Barrett, is that the wildlife crash is continuing unabated. He said nature contributes to human well-being culturally and spiritually, as well as through the critical production of food, clean water, and energy, and through regulating the Earth's climate, its pollution, its pollination, and floods. The Living Planet Report clearly demonstrates that human activities are destroying nature at an unacceptable rate, threatening the well-being of current and future generations. The worst affected region is South and Central America, which has seen an 89% drop in vertebrate populations, largely driven by the felling of vast areas of wildlife-rich forest. But Marco Lambertini, Director General of WWF International, said the fundamental issue was consumption. He said, we can no longer ignore the impact of current unsustainable production models and wasteful lifestyles. And KVMR listeners, I want to leave you at the end of this article with this compelling quote by Tanya Steele, Chief Executive at WWF. The article ends with her quote saying, We are the first generation to know we are destroying our planet. And the last one that can do anything about it. So that's some of the information on reports that are valuable to know the state of the emergency that science is conveying to us as fellow humans. Well, in order to also shine some positive light on ways to try and tackle this crisis, I do want to make sure that I report on some of the political changes here with the recent election and administrative changes in the White House and in the federal government. So this is an article talking about Joe Biden and how just as the person was quoted in the article a minute ago, there seems to be a whole of government approach being taken now to deal with this issue. This is from pvmagazine.com. It says Biden orders government-wide approach to fighting climate change. President Joe Biden is taking several new executive actions aimed at battling climate change, protecting the environment, and supporting science, clean energy, and disadvantaged communities. The actions, which were taken January 27th, underscore the Biden administration's dedication to tackling climate issues. They build on executive orders signed on Biden's first day in office, which included rejoining the Paris Climate Agreement, blocking the Keystone XL pipeline, and reviewing environmental policy rollbacks issued by the Trump administration. The actions also help advance Biden's goals to achieve a carbon pollution-free power sector by 2030 and a net zero economy by 2050. Well, these are the second round of executive orders signed by Biden. According to a fact sheet, the executive orders call on federal agencies to lead by example, 
and to solidify climate considerations as a critical government-wide part of U.S. national security and foreign policy. The orders direct federal agencies to procure carbon-free electricity and zero-emission vehicles, although specific procurement goals are sparse. To help spur job creation, those purchases also must be made in America, following Biden's recent Buy American executive order. The climate-focused orders further direct federal agencies to eliminate fossil fuel subsidies if consistent with applicable law, and identify ways to make federal operations more resilient to climate-related impacts. All agencies must develop strategies for integrating climate considerations into their international work. And in another effort to create jobs in construction, manufacturing, engineering, and skilled trades, the orders direct every federal infrastructure investment to reduce pollution, and that steps be taken to accelerate clean energy and transmission projects under federal permitting processes and to be done in an environmentally sustainable manner. The orders also establish a moratorium on new oil and gas leases on federal lands. While the U.S. Department of Interior will be tasked with reviewing all existing leasing and permitting practices related to fossil fuel development on federal lands or waters. The Department of Interior is also directed to identify ways to double renewable energy production from offshore wind by 2030. And given that the Biden administration aims to transition the country away from fossil fuels, the new executive orders also create an interagency working group to coordinate investments and other revitalization efforts to assist those U.S. communities that have been reliant on coal, oil, natural gas, and power plants. Another key aspect of Biden's climate plans is environmental justice. According to a White House fact sheet, these executive orders create new councils and direct all federal agencies to develop programs, policies, and activities to address and identify the disproportionate health, environmental, economic, and climate impacts on disadvantaged communities. That includes a government-wide initiative called Justice 40, with the goal of delivering 40% of the overall benefits of relevant federal investments towards such disadvantaged communities. Well, these are some of the new teams and groups and positions that have just been created within the last month. To help Biden meet his climate change goals, the executive orders established a host of new government groups. One is called the White House Office of Domestic Climate Policy, led by the first-ever National Climate Advisor and a Deputy National Climate Advisor. This White House Office of Domestic Climate Policy will serve as a central location in the White House charged with coordinating and implementing the President's domestic climate agenda. In addition to the new White House Office, a National Climate Task Force will also assemble leaders from across 21 federal agencies and departments in order to enable a whole-of-government approach to combating the climate crisis. And then, in an effort to elevate climate in U.S. foreign policy, the President created the Special Presidential Envoy for Climate, 
which will have a seat on the National Security Council. That position is held by ex-Senator John Kerry. Biden also made it clear he believes the federal government should embrace the scientific community and make decisions using the best available data and technology. To that end, the new Presidential Memorandum on Scientific Integrity and Evidence-Based Policymaking directs United States federal agencies to ensure and review scientific integrity and designate chief science officers. Lastly, the executive orders also reestablish the President's Council of Advisors on Science and Technology, which will be co-chaired by the President's Science Advisor and will advise Biden on climate-related policies. As far as specific people nominated to help in the federal government, Biden selected former Michigan Governor Jennifer Granholm to lead the U.S. Department of Energy as Energy Secretary and then nominated former EPA Chief Administrator Gina McCarthy to be the new domestic climate czar, mirroring John Kerry's efforts on the international stage. It says here that this, uh, these two selections elevate two women with strong Democratic Party credentials and records on combating climate change to play key roles in enacting the President-elect's climate change agenda. Grano has deep roots in a state at the heart of the U.S. auto industry, having served as Michigan Attorney General for one term from 1999 to 2003, followed by two terms as Michigan Governor from 2003 to 2011. She worked with then-Vice President Biden on the Obama administration's auto industry bailout plan and the post-2008 recession stimulus package that boosted U.S. automakers' electric vehicle and battery technology development. Granholm was a professor at the University of California at Berkeley at the time of her nomination, and she had not been on a short list of three former Energy Department officials seen as likely picks for the Energy Secretary role, including former Energy Secretary under President Barack Obama. Well, Granholm's close relationship to Biden, her work with Michigan auto industry executives and unions, and her understanding of the full opportunities of the clean energy transition will suit her well in leading an agency that will be at the center of the Biden administration's ambitious goals. Whereas Gina McCarthy is going to become the domestic climate czar, McCarthy, an ex-EPA administrator under Obama, was the head of the environmental group, the Natural Resources Defense Council, at the time of her selection. And during the Obama administration, McCarthy's EPA toughened auto emission standards and laid out methane regulations for the oil and gas industry. McCarthy also helped steer the creation of the Clean Power Plan, which established emissions limits on power plants. All of those regulations were upended in some form during the Trump administration. McCarthy's new role as domestic climate czar is geared to enable the incoming administration's goal to take a systematic approach to climate policies across the entire government to more holistically address the issue. Biden has promised to go further than the Obama administration on environmental and climate regulations. McCarthy will be tasked with helping fulfill that pledge after four years in which the Trump administration undid much of her legacy. 
And despite the Trump administration's replacement of her clean power plan with the less restrictive affordable clean energy rule, coal generators have continued to close down in recent years as renewables proliferated. Biden campaigned on a target of 100% clean energy by 2035, a goal that makes this new domestic climate coordinator position one to watch. Well, that's this week's climate report. We hope that you'll be back for the fourth Thursday on February 25th at 6.30 p.m. following KVMR's Evening News. Stay tuned for great public affairs programming here on KVMR-FM.